Love that prayer together as we open the scriptures. So would you join me now in Genesis chapter three? We're continuing our series on discipleship, becoming like our leader, Jesus Christ. And, and the first part of that journey towards becoming like Jesus is, is that first step of choosing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at Genesis 3 this morning, let me set the context of what we've learned thus far in Genesis 1 and 2 of becoming a follower of Jesus. And Genesis 1 and 2 reveals that God formed this earth and then he filled this earth. And he did so for the reason of revealing, declaring his great glory, that we would see all that God made and see his glory. But he also did it that he might provide you and I a home in which we would live. And as his creation living on this planet, that we would reveal him in four specific ways, that we would live lives that would reflect God reflecting him by the gender in which he had made us, the work that he's given us to do, and the submission under him by which we would live. So our purpose for being here on this planet is that we would reflect God and have dominion over the earth, that we would fill the earth and subdue it and rule and cultivate and benefit from the earth, and that we would do it with one another, that God had said it's not good for man to be alone, but to live in community. And that as we reflected God and exercised stewardship over this earth and lived in community, that we would live free of self-consciousness. That there would be a oneness with self, others, this world, and our God. And so if you missed last week, this is what we saw from Genesis 1 and 2, that God had created you and I to live in wholeness and fullness. But the reality being that when we look at this, but then look at our lives, what do we recognize? Big gap, right? When we look at all the fullness and wholeness that we were created for, we see the great brokenness of our lives versus what we were created for, which is why we're looking at Genesis 3. Because from what God had made us for and, and how we live, we see in Genesis 3 this, this unraveling of everything good that God had made us for. So join me, chapter 3. We're going to look our, work our way through this chapter and see how did this unraveling of everything good happen. It started with, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, serpent to the woman, indeed has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said back to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely 
will not die. And so in some sense, the line in the sand has been drawn. God has said, eat and you die. And he says, eat and you won't die. Verse five, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman hears that and then the woman looks. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, what's the word? Desirable. Desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate and she also gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And thus began the unraveling of fullness and wholeness that God had made you and I to live in. And it all began with this word. Distrust between us, mankind, and God. She had started, nope, can't eat of that, we'll die. And then she moved from, wow, that does look good. And it is desirable. Maybe the deceiver's right. Maybe I actually won't die. Maybe this will actually make my life better. And when she distrusted what the Lord had said, that led to disobedience by both Eve and then Adam. And the unraveling begins, but it's far from, far from complete. It's just started. Look at verse 7. Then, after they have distrusted and disobeyed, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. In other words, that had been true before, but they had not been conscious of it. They moved from freedom from self-consciousness to were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And so they move from just not brokenness with God, but brokenness with self, where there's self-consciousness and shame that calls them to cover themselves in the best way that they could. So the unraveling continues, but again, far from, far from complete. Join me in verse eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now the Lord's not as confused, right? Where'd they go? Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, had he ever been afraid before? No, no reason to be. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So where did it all start? Distrust led to 
disobedience. That had once been, do you remember from the wholeness? Disobedience had replaced what? You remember that word that had been there? Submission. Submission got replaced with disobedience. So then they became self-conscious. Because they were self-conscious, they felt shame. And not just shame, shame. They felt what they had not ever felt prior to that, fear. And because they felt fear, then what did they do? Yeah, then they hid themselves or tried to hide themselves as if they could to hide themselves from their creator. So you're tracking distrust to disobedience to self-consciousness, shame and fear to hiding, the unraveling of everything good. Continues, join me, verse 11. The Lord says, who told you that you were naked? Now again, he's not confused. He, he knows. Adam realized it about himself. Eve realized it about herself. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you to not eat? Again, this is not a parent in search of who ate the cookie. You know, we ask questions because we don't know. God asks questions to bring us to awareness. He knows. Have you eaten? The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. <laughs> you know what that's called? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's contagious. The Lord God said to the woman, what has it you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And so, again, something that had never been there before. What? Blame. And now we see the unraveling move, not just between man and God and man and self, but man and others. Where, there, where he had never blamed her and she had never blamed. Now, blame. And you know, blame is, really brings a, a marriage together. Or not. No, it's, this flows from here and blame begins. And, and this is just the beginning of this brokenness because after the, the Lord speaks to the serpent regarding his deception, then he speaks to the woman and he says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. See, childbirth is not a result of the fall. What is Pain in childbirth. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. So this is the further unraveling. And yet, he says, yet your desire will be for your husband. What is the Lord saying? Eve, you're going to still find him like, wow, he's attractive. Even in fig leaves, he's looking good. Is that what the Lord's saying? Guys, that is not what the Bible's saying. God is not saying girls are still going to look at you and go, wow, what a guy. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's going to be a new in her desire that has not been there before to control you. 
which again, that's great for relationships, control, no. Now, how do I know that that, that that is what the Lord is saying? Your desire, your desire will be to control him because this is exactly the word that's used next chapter when God speaks about sin and Cain. Sin, knocking at your door, Cain, and its desire is for you to control control you and how will the man respond to the attempts to control he will rule over you you see what happens in the unravel we were created for this with God submission went by the wayside and disobedience breaks it and then we were created to be free from self-consciousness, but now shame and fear causes us to do things vertically, hiding, horizontally, blaming. That's never been done before. And pain is now introduced into human relationships. Pain always brings, blame, excuse me, always brings pain in human relationships. And there will be now a desire in humanity to control one another. And that desire to control, even in the relationship of marriage, will lead to an oppression that happens one with another. I don't know, again, you just don't just fill in blanks. Understand what's happening here. This wholeness, this incredible relationship that God had created us to be in with him and to be free in ourselves and then to have this human unity, community, totally unraveled. and broken. Now I want us to, to pause and to see a, a couple things. Where did, where did this flow out of? Where did blame and pain and control, desire for control and oppression flow out of? Shame and fear. Self-consciousness. In other words, it's my inner, it's my inner issues <laughs> that blow up things relationally. And where'd this flow from? Relational problems are because of inner problems, which are an overflow of spiritual problems. You know why that matters? Because all of us end up with relational problems, all of us. All of us find ourselves, and whether it's at work, at home, in marriage, with kids, with neighbors, and all relational issues have to be looked at through, hmm, what am I, what am I bringing to this? See, if, uh, watch, if I or you, if we try to deal with relational issues without dealing with ourselves, why, they'll never get resolved over here. Why? 
Because unless I resolve this, we'll always get stuck at blame. And once we get stuck at blame, then the rest of the things will continue to happen. You see what I'm saying? If you're trying to address relational struggles in your life and not willing to look at yourself, you're stuck. You have to be willing to look at what is it about yourself and your own shame and your own fear and your own self-consciousness that's causing you to not relate as God intended with others. But what'd we say? Where'd this come from? Right here. And so we have a world trying to solve these issues, unwilling to address this issue. And it doesn't work. Do you see? See, we have to see it. And this is the beauty of Scripture. The, the Scripture reveals how the unraveling happened. And the order in which it happened really matters because we want to go this way without going the whole way back to the beginning and dressing my relationship with the Lord is the only solution to finding my inner wholeness so that then I can engage in relational wholeness. But... Everybody's looking for a solution that does not involve submission to the creator God. And so it doesn't work. You see that? How it unraveled is important for us understanding how if we're ever going to be restored, how it has to be restored. The other... Before we move on in the text, the other observation that I want us to see, because there's, there's more unraveling. But in just my lifetime, I, I am seeing how much the liar is continuing to make his lies an attack to the very core of who we are. Here's what I mean. As a young person connected to the people of God, family was still mostly whole to those who believed in the Lord and walked with the Lord. But 50 years later, The home, the family, it's almost commonplace now that it's broken because of the lie that marriage does not need to be permanent. God intended marriage to be permanent. And divorce that was once rare among the people of God is regrettably now commonplace. And I know some of you are going, yeah, I know that, but I didn't want that. I understand. I understand. I'm simply not assigning blame except to the deceiver, the liar. But he didn't stop with just dividing the home. Then it moved to the attack on marriage specifically between a man and a woman. No. See, 
50 years ago. It's not that it wasn't present, it's just that it wasn't so prevalent. But now we have entire churches that would uphold same-sex marriage. And you'd think, well, it couldn't get any worse. But same-sex marriage, the attack went from marriage to now the person. And it's just not same-sex attraction. It's now gender is both a choice. It's a choice. It's not according to how I've been created. Now it's, it's a choice. And to think otherwise is hate. Are you, are you tracking with me? <laughs> Just in the last 50 years, the incredible attack upon what God intended from the breaking of the family to the attack on marriage to the attack on gender. Is there anything left? Yes. It is the attack on humanity. In other words, that Humanity is a choice. So we have people, humans, choosing life, even by surgery, to change facial structure, to become not human, but a cat, furries. And you may go, oh, that's just silly. No. This is... It's, it's the predictable next step of a liar who said, you won't die. <laughs> and family took the hit, and marriage is taking the hit, and gender is taking the hit, and humanity is now under attack. I taught this Thursday night, and I got a text from a guy on uh, Friday showing me a post on Instagram where hundreds of people in Germany protesting trans species rights they identify as dogs and they are protesting trans species rights. Then you go, oh, come on, that's just crazy. Now, it always begins on a fringe and then it mows from there. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because church, we are to... We're at a crossroads in our culture of whether we are going to stay true to what the scripture says. <laughs> I mean, we're past the crossroads. We've said, here's what the scripture says, even though the culture left marriage, family, it's in the process of leaving gender and humanity is in the crosshairs and we are gonna have to make specific personal decisions upon where do we stand and who do we follow? This is genuinely part of the journey of a Christ follower, questions and issues that have never been part of the journey in the past. There's been assumptions, biblical assumptions that we have lived with for generations 
that we're going to have to decide whether we will stand as a minority upholding God's intention for family, God's intention for marriage, God's intention for gender, and God's intention for humanity. And there's going to be a price that we're going to pay to stand. It's not doomsday. It's the reality of the unraveling of our world as God intended it. And I want to simply stand before you with the word of God in my hands and declaring that by God's grace and our commitment to the scriptures, regardless of the cost, we will stand for family, for marriage, for gender, and for humanity. So the Lord speaks to the man. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for. You understand that's new? No thorns, no thistles before. No competition to full productivity of the earth. No weeds in your grass. <laughs> and you'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You'll eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. What's he finishing with? You will die. In so many ways, you never thought you would die. See, I th my goal last week, if you missed, was that you would see the fullness for all that God had made you for. And that this week, you would see that when the enemy said, you won't die, he wasn't just talking about my relationship with God. He was lying about everything that makes life, life. He was lying that you won't die this way, you won't die this way, you won't die this way, and you won't die in what God had intended. You see, because of the unraveling, and where did it start? Distrust to disobedience, to self-conscious shame and fear and hiding and blame and pain and control and oppression, to disease and to drought. Every time I'm fixing my stupid irrigation, Recognize, I didn't need that. Disease, drought, toil. Work, work is not a result of the unraveling. 
Work is an incredible, you've heard me say, and I want to say it as long as I live. Work is an incredible gift from God. It's toil. It's work that just never brings reward like we think it's going to. Work that's just, oh, I fixed it. It's going to break again, and I had to fix it. Just remember, every time you buy something, you're going to have to fix that something. It's a result of the unraveling. Disease, drought, toil, and death. And death. You ever wonder why men are so angry? Seriously. Why men are so angry? Not all men are angry. Some men just stuff it. (laughs) You know why men are generally angry people? Because everywhere they go, they experience brokenness. They go to work. Come on, guys. You go to work. So, so frustrating. And then you go home. And then you look in the mirror. And you go, I guess I'm just not enough. Until you make one of two choices. You get angry and aggressive. Or you just throw in the towel and grab the remote and go passive. That's the unraveling in the heart of men specifically. We feel every aspect of life, the brokenness. And there's set eternity in our hearts that we were made for fullness. But the reality is so far from what we were created for. You just grow angry and aggressive or passive and just bail out and go, hey, if you want control, you can have it. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Right? And then, I know the culmination of it all, verse 23, join me. Chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden. Eden. You understand? (laughs) The place where he had given him to experience relationship with himself, to live in freedom, to live in community, to enjoy stewardship and dominion, because it had all unraveled. He's removed. He is sent out from the Garden of Eden. There is banishment from the presence of God and all the fullness that comes with the presence of God. All right. If if you wonder... Is the goal of this message to make me drive off the Dames Point Bridge in my car? <laughs> you, you understand what I mean? It was, it was like, wow. 
you are like Dr. Downer this morning. It is not the goal for you to drive your car off the dames point. It is for you to hate the liar and to hate the lies that ruin life. And it is, don't miss this now, can I have your eyes? It is for you to see something about God that we would not see apart from the unraveling. See, this is the greatness of our God, that we see something about God in the unraveling that we would have never seen apart from it. Go back to verse eight. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, not because he was confused, not because he didn't know, where are you? What do we see about God in the face of this horrible unraveling? We see a God still seeking after sinful man. See, we wouldn't see that apart from the unraveling. So as, as horrible as the dark is dark, sometimes it takes the dark to see how great the light really is. And we see in this God mercifully seeking after sinful man. Yes, yes, there is death and destruction. Yes, there is brokenness. And yes, there is a God who still walks after them and says, where are you? Who told you? Have you? He knows and he's seeking after you. And we see a God who says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who's he speaking to? The liar, the deceiver, the serpent, Satan, the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What's happening here? Even in the moment of the unraveling, God says to the deceiver, you got him on the heel. But you're going to get your head crushed. What's he saying? He's saying there's going to be born of a woman, someone who will come and defeat you and give victory to this unraveled humanity. God mercifully seeks after sinful man and he mercifully promises a future victory for sinful man. See, you, you wouldn't get that <laughs> apart from the unraveling. The mercy that we sang about earlier, the mercy of God can only be known because of the unraveling of humanity. And the mercy of God, not only in seeking after, but promising future victory, maybe most clearly, join me, verse 21, Genesis 3. 
So good. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. <laughs> what had they had done? They had tried fig leaves. Yeah, of course, you know what happens when you pick leaves. <laughs> that, that only lasts for a, a little bit, and then you got to be picking more leaves, picking more leaves. Picking more. And so God does for them. But he provides a covering for their sin. How? Through death. And we see even in the moment of the unraveling, a foreshadowing that God would mercifully provide a covering for sinful man. And you should add, because I should have added through death. God mercifully provides covering for sinful man through death. You're capturing with me, friends, that, that none of this, see, don't go don't go drive your car off the Dame Swing Bridge. See the awfulness of sin. See what believing the lies really does. See, watch. See what moving from submission to distrust does in life. And see God mercifully pursue us in our sin and promise that there can be victory, there can be restoration, and see God promise, I'll make a covering for your sin. This in death being a foreshadowing that God demonstrated his own love toward who? Us. In that while we were yet sinners, just like Adam and Eve, as even while we were living in brokenness and in brokenness and in brokenness and in brokenness, in the midst of all that, he demonstrated his own love toward us. How? And that Christ died, not just for the covering of sin, but for the removing of the penalty of sin and the power of sin in your life and my life. Yes, our world is broken, but there's something far greater than the brokenness of this world, and it is the mercy of God shown in the death of Jesus. And so we're not going to wallow. We're not going to wallow in our brokenness. Instead, we're going to remember God's mercy. The men are prepared to bring the elements of the Lord's Supper for us. Let me invite you to, if you'd like, take your notes and kind of put them to the side right now. But understand, as the men come forward with these elements, we're not just doing religious ritual here. We are doing what the scripture says that we ought to do, and that is to regularly, uh, I know there's lots of distraction going on here, and it, <laughs> squirrels running everywhere. <laughs> Can you look up here? 
We do this not for religious ritual. We do this to remember the mercy of God in the face of the brokenness of this world. Because I, I know you, because I know me. We can get so down and so focused on everything broken and sometimes that gets bigger than God in your mind and in your heart. And there's nothing bigger than the mercy and grace of our God expressed in Jesus. And so we do this in remembrance. This is what the scripture says. We do this in remembrance of his death. So I'm going to ask you to give your full attention to the words that, that Matt's going to declare in song now. That, that simply takes us on our journey of who we were and what God has done for us in Christ. I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew elements are a simple reminder of this that Christ died a sacrificial substitutionary death for us that because of our own sin and our own rebellion our own distrust and disobedience we deserve the wrath of God and Jesus has taken that wrath upon himself so that we who deserve it could be set free from it, forgiven and made one again with our God so that we might begin to live life free from shame and fear and blame and brokenness and move towards unity, stewardship, love that's why Christ died the brokenness began with what word we've said it multiple times distrust and so if we're going to move back towards what God made you and I for it begins where trust 
A trusting in Jesus, like Trevor said in his testimony, a trusting in Jesus to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I cannot work my way back to God. I can only admit that I deserve wrath and believe that Christ took it for me. To turn from trusting in me to trusting in Jesus. Every person to be restored back to right relationship with God must take first a very first step. It's not the only step, but there's always a first step of trusting in Jesus to be Savior, to reconcile us. And so I want to invite you, if you've never taken a step of trusting in Jesus to be your forgiver, to reconcile you to God, that you do that this morning. These elements, they don't save us. We don't take them to save us. We take them to remember the person, the only person who can, Jesus. So would you cry out to him, Lord, I deserve your wrath, but I believe in your son, Jesus, to be my savior this morning. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You know what the Bible promises? You'll be saved. Many of you have done that. That's just the first step of trust. Then there are continual steps of new trust. Trusting him with who he's made you to be. Trusting him with how relationships are intended to work. Trusting him with living life as God intended it. And so simply for all of us, there are still places of distrust in our heart. And I wanna give us just a quiet moment now. Close our eyes, talk to our God. For some of you again, maybe that first step, trusting Jesus to be your savior. Others of you, how do you need to trust him with your life, your future? Lord, thank you that your love for us on the cross demonstrated it's the evidence that you are trustworthy. We want to take now in remembrance of you and thankful for mercy. Let's take together. Would you stand and let's declare this. Father
grateful that you're here, grateful we can gather. I just want to encourage you, if, if today, this morning was the first time you've ever trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to speak to someone. Um, we would love to talk to you. We have some people in guest services. We have men and women available for prayer between the auditoriums. Uh, we want to get you started on this journey, let you know these next steps, and walk with you as you become a fully devoted uh, Christ-empowered, Christ-follower, Spirit-empowered Christ-follower. That's what we're here to do. So, uh, really grateful that you're here. Uh, please don't leave without celebrating uh, what God has done in your heart right now, and we want to celebrate it with you. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.